0: John's going to come up and he's going to lead us in in the teaching of God's Word. Sorry, I just loved that you were doing that for everybody. That was great. Why shouldn't I have that? (laughs) No, that's just my selfish, sinful attitude. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me get my thing set. Uh, for those of you who are visitors, uh, I am Pastor John. Our senior Pastor John has COVID and is a, he's doing well, but he has COVID. And I'm rapidly becoming known as the big one. Because we have two Pastor Johns. That, how do you describe me? The big one. The other one's a little guy. But, but we, we love him. So we are in Samuel chapter 2 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn there. I've been away for... Last week, but it included two Sundays, and I have to tell you, it's just a pleasure to be back at your home church after you've been away. And to see such life and such wonderful things happening, people being saved, people being baptized, young people being baptized, wow, it is just a blessing. See new members? It's good to be part of a living church. It really is, especially in our world today. It is good to see people giving their lives and hearts to Jesus Christ and to declare his love for them, because they're publicly declaring their faith, but they are standing up here declaring that they know that God loves them, and there's nothing better than to be loved by our God. So I was away for a week, and I was on mancation. <laughs> Ever since my two boys were five, the youngest was five, five and seven, every year we go on mancation. Um, Before you think we slight my wife, my wife loves mancation because she gets to stay home and not join the men on mancation. But we go and we do all the manly things, you know, the clothes stay where you take them off, the the milk doesn't get put back because we're living on the edge, and various sounds get made that are not appropriate in, in the presence of humans but it is mancation it's a wonderful time and i we went to clearwater beach one day for one day and we spent the night there and i just want to share something that that happened to me um, i get up very early in the morning so i got up around 5 36 that morning and you know all was well with my world the boys were healthy the boys were good my wife was enjoying her mad money at home that I left for her—that's money that if you don't leave, your wife gets mad. You men, you men have, have left your wife mad money. Everything was perfect, so I thought I'll go down to the beach and have some devotional time with the Lord. You know, on the golf side, I was on the golf side, Clearwater, so the sun rises on the ocean side. Obviously, it still rises in the east in Florida, if anybody was wondering. But still, it was beautiful as the sun came up and shone on the water and. I was just starting to communicate with the Lord, and I'm just going to confess to you that I had never felt so depressed in all my life, Uh, to the point where I almost started to cry because I I, I actually feel it right now. I, I felt this sense of being not loved by God. Have you ever felt that? It's something you probably will feel one day because we're humans and we have emotions, and we have ups and we have downs. But there was no reason for me not to feel loved by my God. So I don't, I don't know why I felt that way. But, it, you know, it was believing all the lies and the thoughts that were running through my head. But you know what got me out of it? Hannah. Hannah. Studying for this message. Because Hannah is an incredible woman in the Bible who we can learn a lot from. And that's what we're gonna do this morning. I'm gonna show you what I learned from Hannah that brought me out of that deep, dark period that morning that made me realize once again that I am loved by God. No matter how I feel, no matter what the circumstances are, I can never, ever separate myself from the love of God. And neither can you. And that is an absolutely marvelous truth. So, I did have an opportunity to watch the little Pastor John's message from last week, where he did a character study of the characters that are there in in the beginning chapters of 1 Samuel. And as you know, Hannah plays a big part in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And Hannah was unable to bear children because the Bible tells us that the the Lord had closed her womb and she was unable to bear children. And that day, in that day, in that time, in that culture, ever since the time when, when, a, when a Messiah was promised back way back in Adam and Eve and through the seed of Abraham, it had become a curse not to be able to bear children. It was a cultural teaching. It was not a biblical teaching. It was a cultural teaching that if the Messiah was to come through the woman, and if women were to be saved through childbearing, that the highest honor for a woman was to bear children. Culturally, if you were not able to bear children, you were considered to be not blessed by God, but in fact cursed by God. And if, if, if anybody here is in that situation, it is not a biblical teaching. But that was the culture at the time. So Hannah felt absolutely horrible. And if you reread 1 Samuel chapter 1, She felt so bad that the Bible uses words like she was in emotional anguish. She was depressed. The Bible goes as far in chapter 1 to say that she was so sunken in spirit and so emotionally harmed by that inability because she saw that even though my husband loves me, he probably is disappointed in me because I can't bear children. And in fact, Elkanah, her husband, married another wife so he could have children. So you can understand why she would feel this deep anguish in her soul. And it burned and burned and burned. And bothered her so much that she couldn't, at times, even eat. So I wonder to myself, as I study the passage, is it just the fact that she couldn't have children and couldn't make her husband happy? It says in chapter one that Elkanah loved, loved Hannah more than Paniah, his second wife, his other wife. But that wasn't enough because she still felt like she was letting everyone down. But is that the heart of Hannah's depression? Was that the heart of Hannah's depression, or was it something more? And I tell you, church, and you are probably already ahead of me, but it was something more. The Bible tells us that Elkanah, Hannah's husband, husband of both of the wives, would go up to Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was at this time. And they would go up to worship, and they would go up to sacrifice in order to please the Lord, in order to show their dedication to him, in order to do what was right according to the ceremonial laws. And they would go up to the temple, and to the, to the tabernacle, not the temple, and it says, and I want you to reread this in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says that this is the time when Paniah would provoke Hannah, when they would go up to the temple, this was the specific time when she would ridicule, demean, and tear down Hannah. Why is that church? Why does the Bible point out that it was when they went up to worship in the tabernacle at Shiloh that she would tear down Hannah? Why? Well, here's the deal. We know this. When they would do the sacrifices, what did Hannah's husband Elkanah do to bless Hannah? He gave her a double portion of the meat. He gave her a double portion to show, hey Hannah, I love you. I love you so much. It really doesn't matter to me that you can't bear children. How do you think Peniah felt when she saw Hannah getting a double portion? Maybe a little jealous? Maybe a little envious? Maybe... Elkanah loves Hannah more than me. So how would she provoke her? Think about that, church. How would Hannah get provoked at that period of time? Because Elkanah is loving her more, showing her love. I put to you, church, that Peninnah was telling Hannah that Elkanah may love you more than me, but God doesn't love you because you're a cursed person. You are a cursed woman. Why else would she do it only when they went up to the tabernacle? Why else would she do it at that time? And Peniah would tear her down. She would knock whatever foundation Hannah was standing on by saying, God does not love you. God does not love you. Well, church, it goes on in chapter 1 and tells us a little something That's even more special. For years, Hannah prayed, God, give me a child. God, give me a child. God, give me a child so I can feel whole, so I can please my husband, so I can feel that I'm not cursed by you. God, grant me a child. And repeatedly, church, God said no to Hannah. No. God wanted to teach Hannah something. God wanted to do a change in Hannah's life so that she wasn't so wrapped up in a child being her world, and a child being what gave her value, what gave her salvation. But one day, Hannah prayed to God. In church, the, the answer was different. One day, God said, Yes, I will give you a child, I will let you bear a son. What changed? Why did God answer that prayer? Well, church, we don't make deals with God, but, but Hannah had come to a point in her life where she prayed this prayer. God, if you grant me the ability to bear a child, and we all know it was a son, bear a son in this case, I will give him back to you. I will give him back to you. And God said, Hannah, that's what I needed. That's what I needed to hear from you that you don't find your salvation in a child. You find your salvation in me. What did this mean, church? What did this mean? Well, it didn't mean that five days after the birth, Hannah would go up to Shiloh and give to the priest this five-year-old infant. No, that wouldn't work because the child had not been weaned. People, other people couldn't feed the child. So Hannah said, when the child is done weaning... Feeding at my breast, I will give the child to you in Shiloh. I will give the child and hand him over to the priest so that he may be in the service of the Lord for the rest of his days. Now, weaning in this day and age, in that day and age, generally is considered to be about the age of three. Three years old. So Hannah weaned this child for three years. Years And that is so significant, church, because as I said in the first service, when you have children and they are these cute little cherubs that you absolutely grow attached to and fall in love with, it is a phenomenal feeling. And I remember many, many times when my son Josh, when I'd come come home from work and he would scream his head off every time I came home from work and he would just be upset for 20, 30 minutes. But then I would sit with him on the couch, and I would rest him on my chest, and I would, I, we call them buppers. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of names for those little things you put in the baby's mouth. Anybody got any names? Yeah, I will never put a binky in my son's mouth. So we call them buppers. So we put the bupper in his mouth, and he would rest on my chest, and he would fall asleep. And it was the cutest thing in the world. And he would rest there, and I would stroke his hair, and I would look at those little cheeks, and I would just enjoy being with him for that time when he wasn't screaming at me when I came home from work. And then he would wake up. Oh, and then he would be the happiest little baby. And my wife often says to me, wouldn't it be great if we could go back in time to have those little boys again? Yeah, it would be. It would be. But imagine weaning a child for three years, having that child lay on your chest, feed from your breast, nutrition, life, and being, stroking that child's hair and looking at that child's cheeks and staring into that child's eyes, knowing that in three years' time, you're gonna go up to Shiloh and say, here, take my child. The people in the Bible are humans. They are not emotionalist, emotionalist people that we just read about. Paul was a human. He felt pain. He felt sadness. He felt sorrow. Ha- Hannah was a mother who felt sadness and sorrow and pain when she had to give that child to the, the, the priest, the Eli, the priestly family of Eli three years after weaning him. But church, she was a stronger woman for it. Her faith had grown tremendously. And in chapter 2, which we're going to study now, if you would turn there if you want to look in your Bible. Chapter 2, Hannah tells us everything she's learned in what's called the prayer of Hannah. But it's also called the song of Hannah. It's as though she was praying by singing this song about everything she's learned about the experience she had with God. About overcoming her depression, about overcoming the judgment that was laid upon her by obeying God and trusting Him and finding salvation in Him rather than in anything in this world, even something as precious as a child. And here's the beginning of the song that Hannah sung and prayed My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted. In the Lord, my horn. Her horn is her strength. Her strength is lifted up in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. If you remember from chapter one, when Hannah was praying for a child and the priest Eli saw her, she wasn't verbalizing her prayer. She was mouthing what was in her heart, but she wasn't verbalizing it. And Eli thought she was drunk. Remember that in chapter one. Well, here she clearly says, "My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies." And church, when we read that, we might think, obviously, Penaiah. I mean, we're thinking that does does Hannah say that she's speaking boldly against her by saying, "Na na 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 na, I got a baby, you?" Uh. No, no, that would be ridiculous. So what does it mean that my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies? Well, it tells us. This is called a couplet. It tells us in the next verse what she means by that. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Her rejoicing, her verbalizing her joy in salvation through God was like throwing hot coals on the head of the enemies who would attack her. When they realize, when your enemy realizes that you cannot be torn down any longer by ridicule, by saying God doesn't love you, by saying you're not good enough, by saying you're cursed, and you realize that all that isn't true, and you realize that your joy comes from salvation that you find in God, nothing can harm you. And that's how she spoke against her enemies. No matter what you say is not true because God loves you. Me, and I will rejoice in it, and I will praise Him, and you will hear my words, and they will speak boldly against your motives and your heart. God loves Hannah, and God loves us, but Hannah needed to love God more than anything else. She goes on to pray. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. This is so true. This is so true. (coughs) To whom will we turn, church, if we turn away from God? There is no one besides him. But I want to focus here this morning on there, nor is there any rock like our God, There is no foundation other than God on which we can build our lives. We know in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is our foundation. To Hannah, God the Father was the foundation. But she had built her life on this foundation of believing that her whole sense of being a woman was wrapped up in having a child instead of her whole sense of being a woman being wrapped up on being a loved one by God. That needed to be the rock upon which she rested But she chose for a while, for a period of time, until the light was brought to her eyes. She chose to believe that lie until she came to the truth to realize that there is no rock like God. And I will not find salvation in anything that I try to fill that God hole in my heart with. He is the rock. He is the foundation. Nothing in this world makes sense without him. And man, that becomes more true every single day that we watch what's going on in our world. Nothing makes sense without Jesus, without God. Hannah goes on, church. Do not go on boasting so very proudly. She's talking to those who would speak against her. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed Don't go on boasting proudly about who you are, about what you accomplish with your hands, about how much you make, about how much you do for the Lord, because in reality, God weighs the motives of your heart. You don't need to boast about you, you, you. You don't need to boast about who you are and what you have and what somebody else doesn't have. The Lord is a Lord of knowledge. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And he weighs the actions of our heart. He weighs our actions. And he sees the motives of our hearts. Church, the bowels of the mighty, the bows. I said that first service too. I forgive me. The the bows of the mighty are broken to pieces. But those who have stumbled strap on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread but those who are hungry cease to be hungry. Even the infertile woman gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. This is an important point that Hannah makes here, church. Do not base whether or not you think God loves you based on your circumstances. Do not base whether you think God loves you as you look around at your circumstances. What do I mean by that? Those who are full hire themselves out for bread. Tomorrow, church, your circumstances could change. We live in a wealthy country. We can't deny it. We have almost everything we need. But tomorrow, what if you didn't have enough food for your children? Tomorrow, what if you lost someone you love dearly? Tomorrow, what if your circumstances changed? Would you say, oh, I am cursed by God? Or would you say, God still loves me? He didn't promise me this. He didn't promise me that. He promised me trials. He promised me tribulations. He promised me things would come. He promised me to have good days and I would have bad days. But when I have bad days, do I curse God? No. When I have bad days, I say God still loves me. Despite the circumstances around me, I will not judge how much God loves me by whether or not I'm having a good day or not. I see so many people fall into that trap He can't possibly love me anymore because I lost my job. He can't possibly love me anymore because my husband is a bum. He can't possibly love me anymore because my children, one of my children has left the faith. They are lies from the enemy. They are lies from your mind. They are lies from the devil. Circumstances do not change one iota the amount of love that God has for you. And if you allow yourself to believe that he hates you because something changes in your world, you are being lied to by yourself and by your enemies. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. I think there's a verse about that somewhere in the Bible. I'm just assuming. All right. The Lord puts to death and makes alive. He brings down to shoal and brings up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He humbles. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the garbage heap to seat them with nobles. And he gives them a seat of honor as an inheritance. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he set the world on them. Church, the pillars of the world are the Lord's. Everything is God's. And God has you. God loves you. God has you in His hands. The pillars of the entire world rest on Him. He is what holds everything together. He is sovereign. Do you believe that? We say we believe that, but do we believe that? He is sovereign. There is nothing that he can't handle in my life, and there is no way that he will ever cease to be my God and love me. And he is the pillar upon which I should build my life. He watches over the feet of his godly ones. But the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a person prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be terrified. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king. And will exalt the horn of his anointed. Who is Hannah talking about? Jesus Christ, because there was no king in Israel at this time. This was prior to there being a king in Israel. Hannah is saying, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, the Messiah, and he will exalt the strength of his anointed. God loves us. How do we know, church, that God loves us? Kids, how do we know because the Bible tells us so. John 3.16. Dare we try to say it together from the King James Version? Let's try to do it. For God loved... God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us his word. He gave us his son. But he gave us Jesus Christ and showed us his love. How? By giving us eternal life, church. If I ask you to quote a verse for me on what eternal life is that we've been given, I don't think we could all do that in harmony. I don't think we'd all know what verse that might be. What is this eternal life that he promised us? In the same book, John chapter 17, verse 3, it's written, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that he loves you. There's nothing more important than that, church. There's nothing more important than knowing that God, the God who who holds the earth in his hands who raises up the poor, who brings down the rich, who gives you worth and meaning and salvation, there's nothing more important than knowing that that same God loves you with a love that's beyond understanding and immeasurable. This is eternal life, that we understand that love and we grow closer to it every single day. So I close with this. If any of you here this morning do not know that love, If any of you here this morning have never been baptized because you never put faith in Jesus Christ and you want to know, how can I know the love of God? How can I know this love that that Jesus Christ offers to me? You just have to believe the gospel. If there's someone in here this morning who has not accepted the gospel, the good news, I plead with you this morning to accept it. What's the good news, John? We are all sinners. We fall short of the holiness of God by miles. God wants to have a relationship with you and I. He can be in the presence of sin because we know that Satan presents himself before God as often as he possibly can, but God cannot have a relationship with sin. And our sin, the things that we do wrong, cause us to miss the mark with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to pour out his love on us and he wants you to feel it and he wants you to know it. So God said, son, will you go die for these people? Will you live a righteous life for these people so that we can have communion with them, so that we can be one with them, so that they can love me and I can love them and we can spend eternity together experiencing everlasting life which is knowing me more. And the son said, I will do it, Father. Philippians chapter 2, he gave up heaven and came to earth and lived a righteous, sinless life and died for you and me. And whoever puts faith in Jesus Christ and his sinless life will be covered with the blood of Christ and will receive the holiness of Jesus and can stand before God and said, look at the nail holes in Jesus' hands. He died for me. And now I can have a relationship with you because of him. And I can be loved by you forever. And to put the final confirmation, Jesus rose on the third day and said, it is done. It is finished. Here's the proof. It is finished. Sin and death. I am victorious over them. Church, God loves you. Never, never let any circumstance, never let any people, never let the devil convince you at any time in your life that he does not love you. And if you feel that way, cry out to him and say, show me your love. And he will point you to his word. He will point you to his Christ. And he will point you to times in your life when you know that God touched you. And he will say, remember my love because it's here for you, and I will never, ever take it from you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the the lesson that Hannah taught us this morning, how she felt the love of God once again when she couldn't even eat food because she was so far from you and so depressed. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify your holiness We glorify your love and your righteousness. Be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, be blessed as you leave here and wrap yourself in the love of Christ.